Good morning, church. I cannot begin without simply mentioning Megan Lawson, Christy Rochelle, uh, Amy Bean, uh, Jenny Slaughter, and let's see who else there was, uh, Lacey Walker for this beautiful stage. Don't you love Christmas decorations? Huh? Lacey Walker? Lacey Potts now. There we go. Lacey Potts, so sorry. Um, I love when they decorate the stage for Christmas. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite things that we do now. So thank you, ladies, for doing that. Um, let me join Leslie in welcoming you, whether you are online or here in the building with us. It is good to be with you. Um, let me go ahead and tell you this. Our message today is going to come from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. If you want to put a finger at 1 Thessalonians, go ahead and do that. Um, I'm actually, we'll read verse 18 in the reading, um, but we are not going to get there just yet. And I want you to know this. I'm going to spend a lot more time and be heavier with Paul than I am with Thessalonians specifically. Uh, you're even going to hear from Peter here in just a moment. But here's what I want to do. I want to frame our time together this morning around one really specific question. So in other words, when you walk out of here today and you think, what on earth was any of that about? I simply would love for this question to be on your heart as you navigate the rest of the week. And it's this. What sort of people or person ought we be? What sort of people or person ought we be? And you might even extend it to this. Um, what kind of people are we becoming? Maybe even personalize it. What kind of person are you Becoming, what kind of person am I becoming? So let me see, let me show you where this question actually emerges from. If you want to turn to Second Peter, go ahead, Second Peter chapter three, and I'm going to begin reading in verse eight. I want you to hear this text. I want you to see where this question comes from. What kind of people ought we be? Here's what Second Peter chapter three verses eight through eighteen says. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved. That, the, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away and with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are be, to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and, in regard, and, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you, and according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this, as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of lawless and lose your own stability, but grow 
in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's the word of the Lord from 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at this text. Verse 11. What sort of persons ought you be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? You're going to hear the word hope a lot this morning. I hope you've already uh, digested it as, as Blake has led us in worship. You're going to hear the word wait a lot. Look at it in verse 13. We wait. Verses 14, therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found in him at peace. So here's another question for you. Um, Why should you and I consider this question? Why does it matter who Mike Ryan is becoming right now? Why does it matter who Ellen is becoming right now? Why does it matter who Blake is becoming? Why does it matter who I am becoming right now? Why does it matter for Eric Bowman to be who he is becoming right now on this earth. I think the question matters for this reason, because who we are becoming while you and I wait plays an essential role in our lives now and in the lives of others as we continue to experience something like 2020. Okay? Let's talk about 2020 for just a second, as a matter of fact. I know it's already been brought up a little bit. Leslie brought it up, and I hope to reframe some of this here just a little bit. But here's what I'd love for you to do. I haven't done this in a while. Um, I would really enjoy some crowd participation. Is that okay? Susan Wire, I'm looking right at you. Some crowd participation. Um, I'm going to put some words on the screen. Okay? And I would simply invite you to lament with me for a few minutes. Maybe even say, Amen. Or yes, if you need to, grunt. Whatever you feel like you need to do, if you resonate with any of these words in regards to 2020, I would love to hear you. Okay? So in this season of life, it's incredibly possible that maybe you have experienced some unrest. Yeah. Maybe you have experienced some disappointment. Maybe you have been feeling a little bit disconnected. Maybe you've experienced some fear. Maybe some frustration? Yeah? How about things feel a little bit out of control? Maybe even you feel a little bit out of control. Maybe at times, as much as we don't want to admit it, it feels like everything is lost. That's a hard one, right? Um, Maybe you are just at a point in your life where you just feel numb to 2020. Maybe you feel a little hopeless. Maybe you feel a little anger. Anybody? Angry? Have you been angry the past nine months? Anybody? Helpless? Yeah? I see some nods. How about fatigued? I've used the word fatigue a lot this past week. I feel this word, fatigued. How about maybe you have felt some division in our world? How about how polarized everything is? It's either this way or that way. There's nothing in the middle. Maybe things seem a little bit polarized. Maybe you have been a little discouraged. Yes? Maybe you have felt some isolation. And maybe you have felt a little bit alone. How about this one? Anybody confused? Anybody sitting here often going, what on earth is happening? Confusing. How about this? Things often feel impossibly broken. How are we going to put things back together? Maybe you have noticed there's some suffering. In our world. 
Maybe you yourself have experienced some suffering. I don't know about you, but this one also rings a bell. People, human beings, me and you, often seem a little more intolerant these days. And I don't just mean in their actions. How about this? Even in our speech, even in our rhetoric, this is what I experience. It lacks compassion. Our speech lacks kindness. Our speech lacks tenderness. Have you encountered these people? Have you encountered this yourself? Maybe. Maybe you have felt like others and maybe yourself are on the verge of losing it from time to time. So far in 2020, we've experienced murder hornets. For crying out loud, are you kidding me? Murder hornets. Nine months into this pandemic that doesn't seem to end political upheaval, civil unrest, racial tension like we have not experienced in a really long time, wildfires, hurricanes, and that's just what's been reported, right? I have tried to come up with just one word to sum up this whole thing, and this is all, I I came up with a lot of words, right? Probably you have a lot of words right now too, but there's only a few words I could actually put on the screen, okay? This one came to mind, train wreck. Anybody? Just a train wreck. And you can't take your eyes off of it. It's like a a wreck that we have come up on and you cannot stop looking at it. It's like, when will this end? Train wreck. So it's easy to see, I think, why so many people have been knocked off course. And maybe, maybe even just ask yourself that question right now. In what ways have you been knocked off course because of this particular year and because of the particular experiences. It's kind of challenging, if you haven't noticed lately, not to become pessimistic. And I can see why so many people are tempted to despair, right? And here's what I was just saying earlier. These circumstances, just like life in general, have a way of shaping us. Every one of those words, if you and I live and breathe in that atmosphere, it shapes us into a kind of people But here's what I want to do. I want to talk about Romans just for a second because here's what I think Paul does. I think Paul does this really well. I think Paul would look at me and you in 2020 and he would say, this is not how things are supposed to be. It's not. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And I think he says it in some beautiful ways. And so Stan touched on some of this last week. But here, Romans chapter 8. But I would love some more participation from you. Samuel, you're up this time. When you see the word hope... In red, simply say it out loud. Is that okay? This is Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this... We are saved now that is seen is not for who, for what he or she sees. But if we, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You're going to continue to hear the word hope 
a lot this morning. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I really like the way that Eugene Peterson translates this text in the message. Here's how he says it. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, I love this phrase, meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. All those words that we just talked about, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. There are also, we're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. I don't know about you, but I could use some good news. Anybody else? (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) I could use some good news. I could use some hope, and I think that's what Paul is getting at in this phrase. And I have another question for you, simply this. Well, let me use this phrase first. I don't know if you noticed that. I love the way that Paul says this, both Eugene and in the NRSV. The sufferings of this present, these present hard times, Paul was talking about then. And he says, these present hard times, nothing compares with what's to come. Nothing. All these hardships don't compare. But, but here's the thing. How are you and I to communicate this message of hope eternal and peace in the midst of such a chaotic world? And that's where we're going to park it, just to a, to a degree. How do we begin? Where do we begin? How do you and I move forward when life has been so disruptive disturbing and disorienting how are you and i supposed to recalibrate right use that word to adjust to center to reorient to get back on track when we've been knocked off course what might paul have to say to the church in 2020 and i think that you can sum it up in one word and it's advent i don't want you to be scared of this word right many of us didn't grow up uh, cognizant of or even following the Christian calendar, but this word Advent is in the text that we're reading today. It's from the Latin word Adventus, but Paul uses it in the Greek as well. He actually uses it four times in Thessalonians, Perusia, and it simply means the arrival, the return, the presence of Christ. So think about Advent this way. Advent brings an order to time and a sense of identity and purpose marked by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the movement of the Holy Spirit within the world. It's not just a season of life. It's not just something on a calendar. There's something deeply moving about what it means to think about the arrival of Christ, His presence, and His return. And then you're going to come to this word when you talk about Advent, waiting. I mentioned last week, I don't know that I wait well. I don't know that as a people, our nation waits well. We want things to happen immediately and quickly, but there's something about waiting in this season of life that's remarkable. And so you've heard it several times already, but in this waiting, you and I anticipate the arrival of Christ. 
And Advent does that in several ways. If you've not thought about it like this, we often, we often talk about the first arrival of Christ, right? His birth. We celebrate that. We think about his second arrival, the second return of Christ, if you will, when all things we made new. But the one that we don't talk about often is the third arrival. The arrival of Christ into the lives of those who believe in him, into your ordinary, everyday life. And I think that's why the first question really matters. Who are you and I becoming now? And who ought we become with Jesus in our life? Because here's what you'll see about waiting. It's not something we do idle. It's not idle waiting. We don't twiddle our thumbs. And I'll tell you this much. Um, Jennifer and I kind of have a little bit of glimpse right now of this waiting. This past Wednesday, we had the opportunity to sit with my daughter, Laura, and her husband, Chase, at a little facility over here in Hendersonville called Over the Womb. And so we're resonating with Paul's language in chapter 8 right now because as we sat in this little place called Over the Womb, we were engaged in this 4D ultrasound with my daughter, Laura, who's due in February. And so we're sitting on this couch with my sons and my other daughter and other family members, Chase's mom and dad, and they, they lubricate Laura's belly up and they pull this mechanism out, right? And we're all sitting on the couch with this big screen in front of us, and for the first time, we're all seeing this child. We're watching her little fingers up against her precious little ear that we could see. We can see her feet. She's really flexible. She's got one foot up next to her head and one foot behind her somehow. I have no idea how babies do this. We got to see her nose and her lips. And we're going, you have got to be kidding me. This is amazing. And we're waiting on this baby. Right? And Laura is getting bigger. She's getting bigger and the anticipation is growing. But they're not just sitting on their hands waiting for this baby, right? (laughs) They're preparing. There's a room for this child. There is a space for this baby. There's going to be a lot of diapers. There's going to be a lot of formula. There's going to be a room. And there's going to be some people who are there ready to welcome her into the world because we're waiting with eager anticipation, not idly, but actively waiting as people. And so when you think about you and I as people of God who are in waiting, we are people who wait in action. We live hope out in our waiting, the word we've continued to use. And as a people, we are hope in motion, if you will. We are living lives that demonstrate the life of Jesus Christ who is within us. And as you and I live, we don't retreat from the world. We actively provide glimpses of what's to become. And so you may be thinking, John Micah, how on earth does 1 Thessalonians begin to fit into any of this? So if you want to go to 1 Thessalonians, it may already be there. Here's what I want to say about this. You can literally today sit down and read the entire letter of Thessalonians in less than 11 minutes. It takes no time at all. I don't know the last time you have read the first letter of Thessalonians, but it's really simple. There's one prominent theme in the entire letter, and it's this, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing the Thessalonian church to remind them where their hope needs to be put in. As I already mentioned... He mentions the word parousia several times, but I want you to know this, that Jesus is the focus of the Thessalonians' hope for the future. Again, one main theme, there are other things going on here, and yes, they are people who believe in the God of Israel, but in the midst of their circumstances, in this in-between time, this time between Jesus' death and his return, they are experiencing some difficult things. And in the midst of this tension, 
they are feeling a little bit hopeless. And what we find in this is that living in tense times requires hope for daily living. No doubt that Paul and Silas and probably Timothy had already preached in this city. You can look up and read about the actual city as much as you'd like to. Um, Paul's deeply concerned about this church. And even after he leaves these people, he sends Timothy back and he says, I want you to go find out how they're doing and then come back and report to me. And so Timothy comes back and he says, Paul, um, generally speaking, it seems like they're doing well. But they're really experiencing some hardships right now. In fact, they've experienced a lot of death. And and they're living in this hopelessness because they're concerned about what's going to happen to their deceased once the, once the return of Christ happens. And so they're grieving. But what they're doing is they're grieving without hope. So Paul sits down and he wants to encourage the church in Thessalonica. And so he pins 1 Thessalonians with the purpose of encouraging the church. And he says that even if you look in verse 13, Paul, the pastor and theologian, deeply reflective of his people, writes to reassure them and to equip them. And he says, grieve with hope. Don't grieve like the rest of the world with no hope. But he wants to encourage them. So I don't know about you, but uh, when I think about death, I think about a lot of things. And death always raises a lot of questions. Right? Typically, why? Um, We ask a lot of questions. Death entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. It's something that none of us are invincible to. And you and I are watching a world right now be just COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on the lives of people. And so death is something that we're seeing a lot of. We're experiencing it. And there will be a day when it will be eliminated. But in the meantime, we live in this space. And sometimes death has a way of leaving us hopeless. And it has a way of leaving us really concerned. And so you find the Thessalonians experiencing this restless impatience. Maybe even some false security. Maybe they're putting their hope in some things that aren't quite where they should be putting their hope. And they're concerned about being unprepared. But the one thing Paul does get at is he says they're concerned about being unprepared. But they might not be as concerned about their holiness and their way of life right now. Something, not just something, but the circumstances that they're living in have knocked them off course. And so Paul wants to encourage them. So he says, in order to repair their hope, he reassures them that their deceased will be seen again at the second coming of Christ. And they'll be back together. He says, I want to encourage you and I want to call you not to be idle, but to, in your waiting, to live holy lives. Avoid certain things. You can see it all in the Thessalonians letter. And so they are living in difficult circumstances. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. And again, I'm going to read through 18. He says this. For the Lord himself with a cry of the command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then in verse 18 he says this, Therefore encourage one another with these words. That is the encouragement that he gives the church. 
It's not just a flippant answer. So I don't want you to hear the word Advent or even just, oh, Jesus is the answer to everything. It's a deep answer. And he says to people who are experiencing really incredibly hard circumstances that your hope must be in Jesus. This is where you must recalibrate. During these really difficult circumstances that nobody wants to be in, there is a place to focus our attention. And these circumstances that we experience are and do have a tendency to knock us off course and to knock our gaze off of Jesus. I don't know how many of you are Tolkien fans. J.R.R. Tolkien, friend of C.S. Lewis, author of the series of books, Lord of the Rings. Previous to this book, he wrote a book called, um, well, there's a lot of books. Uh, we could actually get bogged down this really quickly. Um, beautiful, wonderful books. Okay. Um, in The Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first book in this trilogy, there's a quote that I'm going to give you here in just a moment. But if you don't know anything about Lord of the Rings, some of you may never want to pick up the book and read it. I get that. Um, Tolkien has developed this wonderful fantasy world. It's this incredible world filled with marvelous characters. And it's this ultimate, you know, fight against, between good and evil. And you've got these really memorable characters like Gandalf the Great, who's this wizard, who's this sage. You've got hobbits, these little people um, like Frodo and Bilbo Baggins, okay? You have elves. You've got dragons. You've got all these things you can think about in this fantasy world. But there's these marvelous relationships that take place between these characters. And in this particular scene in the book... Frodo and Gandalf were having a conversation about the difficulties that lie ahead and about the difficulties of the circumstances that they're living in. And as Frodo is reflecting on his mission, he has to take this one ring and go destroy it in Mordor, which is this really daunting task. And so the whole book is about this journey that he makes. And so he's discouraged. He's really lamenting the fact that he has to go through these difficult things. And this is what he says to Gandalf. He says, I wish... It need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. And Gandalf says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that has been given us. I hope you see why that quote resonates with me and with this message. Because I really come back to this question. And this statement, you and I are living in a really difficult season of life. We're a really challenging season of life. And no one that I know of has come to me and sat down and said, man, I really enjoy 2020. Uh, there's been some really cool things that have happened. Now, I'm not going to take away from the fact that there's beautiful opportunities that we could be engaged in, that we are. But no one would have wished 2020 on anyone. No one prefers the circumstances that we're living in. In fact, 2020 has presented us with all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of traumatic situations. And again, we've mentioned the pandemic over and over again. And at the end of the day, this is where you and I are, right? This is where we are. This is the time that we find ourselves in. And so the question comes back up, what will you and I choose to do with the time that's been given us? This is where we are. This is where we find ourselves. And so I think the original question matters. What sort of people or person ought we be? What kind of people are we becoming? Because we have a choice to make, right? All the words I mentioned at the very beginning and more, there's more, right? But you and I 
have a choice. We can become like the world, and we become calloused and bitter and hopeless because this season of life is shaping us. It's shaping the way we talk to each other. It's shaping the way that we talk to people on Facebook and other social media avenues. It's shaping the way that we interact in traffic. It's shaping the way we think. It's shaping the way our homes are going. It shapes the way you speak to your spouse. It shapes the way you yell at your kids. It shapes, the way, it shapes everything. Everything. Because it's anxious and it's pressure and it's frustrating. And so you and I have a decision to make. What will we do with the time we've been given? Will we become calloused and hopeless and bitter? Or will we choose to live with and as hope? So here's what I'd love to, here's what I want to invite you to do. It's going to sound crazy. It's okay. <laughs> I would love to invite you to reframe the year 2020. And maybe as we move into 2021, not so much that we're trying to erase 2020 from our memories or dismiss it, right? That sounds crazy enough as it is. But what if, you and I, what if you and I allowed ourselves to see 2020 as a reminder, to experience these events and to remember that this is not how things are supposed to be? And just as Jesus moved towards the world, which is what Stan's conversation was about last week, just as Jesus moved towards a broken world, what if you and I made the decision to move towards the brokenness of this world? What if you and I went out of our way to host tables of hope, to host tables of peace, to become the kind of people that emanate hope and peace in the midst of chaos because of one thing, because we look to the arrival of Christ in our lives and we look to his return. So here's how I'll end this. Advent's not just a word. It's not just a season. If you think about it, Advent is really a posture. It's really an attitude. Think about how differently life might be if we live with that kind of hope. If we live with the anticipation of the arrival of Christ in our life and we live with the anticipation in this world that he is going to come back at some point and to set things right. But I long for us as a church all over the world to be a credible witness to the world around us. What kind of people are we becoming? What kind of person ought we be in the midst of this? Pray with me if you would. Father, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for all the many ways that you continue to be patient with us as humans. And as we read early in the text, a day is like a thousand years to you. It's hard for us to think about because these nine months have been really long. And it seems like a really long time and, and, and our perspective is so small. So Father, be with us as we focus on you and your son. Give us a bigger perspective. Help us to become the people that you would have us to be in this season of life. We thank you for your son Jesus and his influence. We long for his arrival into our lives and we actively wait for him to return. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.